We're here. Good. All right. Well, hello. Good to see you guys. I um, want to say hello and welcome to all of you here. Uh, so good to be here again with you guys. want to say hello to those of you that are tuning in online. Welcome to Hope for Our Times. So glad you are all with us. Uh, we are going to get into the Word of God. Is that all right? Uh, before I say the Word of God, let me just say what it is. Uh, some people call it a Bible. I call this the inerrant and the infallible Word of the one true living God. Two fancy theological words, all they mean is everything in, this, in here is right, it's perfect, it is unchanging, it is the same yesterday as it is today. God willing, we wake up tomorrow, this will still be the same. God told us that heaven and earth are going to pass away, but this right here is going to endure forever. And so we can plan our life on it, plan our eternity on it, we can teach it to our friends, our children, it's always going to work. Amen? Amen. Well, because we do hold the word in such high regard here, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, if you want to make your way there. Matthew 13, and the title of tonight's message is this, False Church Leaders and Their False Doctrines. False Church Leaders and Their False Doctrines. We are coming back now from a, uh, a, a time I was with you a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about the wheat and the tares, this idea that God has begun this separation of wheat and tares, we talked about the idea of false Christians, right? False Christians, false growth. Uh, we're going to talk about those things tonight. But let me remind you also, we talked about this idea of prophetic revelation, this idea of progressive prophetic revelation. And so the idea there is God, when he does things prophetically, oftentimes what you'll see is he'll begin the work at one point. He'll start to kind of unveil that. As time goes by, he gives you a little bit more and then a little bit more. And you can see that he's working his way towards it. Much like we know that God's focus, God's attention entirely is going to be switched over to Israel. Right now, obviously he's working with us right? The church is here. some point, we're going to be raptured. God's focus is going to be wholly over on the Jews. But we know that that point has not come. Why? Because we're still sitting here, right? So we do know that God has begun that work, though. We see the Zionist movement in the late 1800s. We see the Balfour Declaration in 1917, all the Jews starting to come back. We see the birth of the nation in 1948. We see the Six-Day War in 1967 and then recapturing Jerusalem. We see 2017 where the largest superpower in the world declares, and that's us, by the way, declares that uh, Jerusalem is the eternal capital of the Jewish people. I mean, we're seeing God work that work of renewing the Jews and turning his attention over to Israel, that's already begun. And so he's progressing through that. I recommended to you that that idea of separating the wheat from the tares, that work has begun as well. And we're seeing that before our very eyes. And that is what we're going to continue to talk about tonight. And I gave you five takeaways last time we were together. I said this, that there were false Christians, false fruit, false doctrine, false leadership, and false fellowship. And we discussed two of those five last time, and I want to discuss the following three with you tonight. But let me just, for a point of recap for you, let me talk about the two, first two things. We said that there was false Christians and false uh, growth. So we talked about the Great Commission, the idea that, that we are supposed to go out and share our faith with people, developing disciples, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to teach people the things that we've been taught. Here's the problem. Eight out of ten Christians don't even know what that is. Eight out of ten do not know what the Great Commission is. Um, another thing we talked about was spiritual doubts. So roughly 50% of people, when they have doubts that, that say they're Christian, roughly 50% just stop going to church altogether. They just stop. Uh, so they, they have a doubt, and so they just don't go. Uh, we know that roughly one out of three, they stop reading their Bible, they stop praying, they stop talking about their faith. These things just stop when they start to doubt. These are Christians, right? Uh, we talked about the idea of um, people supporting the LGBTQ+, plus, whatever they call it nowadays, that whole movement. What, what we found was four out of ten Christians publicly not only support it, but promote that as a normal, acceptable, good type of lifestyle. Christians. So this is where we're at. Uh, cohabitation, the idea of living together in a sexual relationship without being married to the person. Um, we know that four out of ten Christians think that that's a good idea. 
And I told you that as a pastor, and me telling people that that's not what they should be doing, I've actually had multiple times had people go, oh, pastor, oh, you don't still believe that, do you? I mean, that's just so old. I mean, that's just such an old way of thinking. And, and here's the deal is, I'm not old. So I don't understand how they think that I'm, you know, I'm so old. Like, I'm 43. That's kind of young, you know. At least I like to think I'm still kind of young, you know. Um, I'm not that old. How is, it that I, how, how is it that I'm getting this? But I'm talking to Christians. They're like, well, no, it's a big deal, you know. I mean, everybody does that, well, you know. You don't go buy a car without test driving it, right? I mean, this is their attitude. I'm not joking. This is, I'm not being crass. This is their attitude. And they're in the church. And they say they're Christians. And they have no intent of doing what God wants them to do. One in three Christians think that when you pray, you're praying to the same God no matter what religion you're in. If you're in Islam, Hinduism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness and Christians, we're all praying to the same God. Who cares what you, what you label it? That's the attitude of Christians today. People go to all sorts of events. We talked about that cover girl. This is the first ever cover, I don't even know how to say it. It's a cover girl, but it was a boy, you know, and people are celebrating it and Christians are going to it and thinking it's a good thing. Christians. I, I don't know what to say about that. You know, to me, that's, that's not Christianity. That's not what God's called us to do. You know, maybe I'm, I'm dogmatic and old school and people can label me however they want, but I'm just going to stick to what's in here because this has lasted the test of time, right? I mean, if I'm going to put my life on the line with anything and die on any hill, it's going to be on that. Amen? So that's just to kind of bring you up, but if you missed that, you can go to hopeforourtimes.com and then go ahead and check that out. But tonight, we're going to follow up with those final three. That is the false leaders, the false doctrine that they propagate, and the false fellowship that results. You all ready? All right, let's do it. So the beginning of separation becomes clear when believers can easily recognize false Christians, false fruit, and then false doctrine. False doctrine. So last time we were together, we talked about the idea of being biblically illiterate. There's a very easy way to get people to buy into false doctrine. Make them stupid. Yep. Serious. If, if you want people to buy into false doctrine, dumb the people down to where they don't know anything. If you don't believe me, just ask the Catholic Church some 1,000 years ago. That's what they did. Let's dumb people down. Let's teach it in a different language. Let's make sure they don't know what's going on. And so that way we can teach them whatever the heck we want. And they'll buy into it because they're stupid. And that's what we have going on today. And it's not the, necessarily the Catholic Church anymore that's doing it. What's going on now is we are just dumbing our people down all around the world. Let's get them to communicate in 140 characters or less. Uh, let's get them to stop reading. And let's get them to not increase their intelligence. Let's get them to not want to have to actually open up the Word of God and actually read because reading is boring, especially reading the Bible. I mean, oh my gosh, it's so old and boring. How could you ever want to read that? And this is the attitude they get people to buy into. And when they get people to become biblically illiterate, well, first when they get them to become illiterate, then they're biblically illiterate. When you don't know what the Word of God says, it's real easy to buy into a bunch of nonsense. So it's up to us to read the Word of God. God's privileged us right now, not just us, but people all around the world have access to the Word of God. We need to be reading it so we know what's going on. Galatians chapter 1, uh, you don't have to turn there, we'll throw it up there because we're going to stick to Matthew 13 tonight, but Galatians 1, this is what is being said to the church of Galatia. I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. Not at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, what we have heard and said before, if anyone preaches any good news then the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. And I love this part as a pastor. I love this desperately. It says, obviously, I'm, try I'm not trying to win the approval of people. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, he says, but of God, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Yeah. 
If pleasing people were what I was after, I would not be serving God at all. And that's, that's got to be the attitude, not only of pastors, but, but of all of us, right? This has just got to be the attitude. We're the servant of God. If we're out trying to please people, we're going to have to stop pleasing God. Because when you please God, you're not pleasing people. It's just that simple. So we need to be very sure what the true doctrines are in this book that we, we call our book, right? We need to know what is being said there, and we need to make sure we're very clear on it. And if anybody brings something to us that's false, we need to know what's going on. Um, I told my congregation this this morning. Don't believe a word I say. I tell them that quite frequently, and I'll tell you guys that tonight too. Or if you're watching online, don't believe me. Don't believe a single thing I'm telling you tonight. And in fact, I challenge you to not. I challenge you to go home, open this up, and find out, are you being taught the truth? Because that's your responsibility as a believer. And I'll tell you, you need to be doing it because there's a lot of people out there that really want to fool you. They really want to get you away from the truth. I love what, uh, what's said in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, listen, are we in the last times? Come on, we are in the last times like we've never been before. In the last times, some will turn away from the truth. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that will come from demons. There are plenty of them out there right now, all around us, all sorts of people falling away and listening to the doctrines of demons. It's exactly what's going on. If we're going to be equipped to answer people when they come and ask us why it is we believe what we believe, why it is that we feel how we do on these cultural issues, you and I have to know what's said in the Word of God. We have to be well-versed, well-read, ready to give an answer, having the Holy Spirit give us wisdom, understanding, and not just wisdom and understanding, but courage and boldness. Because it's going to take a whole lot of courage to be Christians nowadays. And I'll tell you this, it's not just about reading the word of god in one way or another i i know many of you might have your your bible apps you got your phone your your ipad and that's okay um but let me challenge you in this open up a hard copy of the word of god open it up you know and i said i'm young i'm 43 so that's come on is that is that at least young kind of i'm still kind of young right Thank you. All right, so I tell my kids that, so because uh, them, I'm already ancient. But um, the thing is, people my age, they're doing that. Open the, you know, the iPad, their phones, and I, I like technology. But but here's the deal: you open up the hard copy of of the Word of God. You open up a Bible, the inerrant, the infallible Word of God. There's something about that that gets rid of distraction. And I'll tell you, God, God knows this. The enemy wants to distract us. When I, I, I kind of fell into that trap. I was opening up my phone, doing my readings on the phone, Bible app, doing all these things. And what happened was Facebook would pop up with a little notification or Instagram would pop up with something or email would come through and a text. That's what the enemy does, right? I mean, the second you start to dig into God's word, all these things, I have a hard enough time with just this. The enemy's already trying to get at me with, with, with just this. But it's kind of cool because... You know, when you think about it, you've got the, the phones, and those phones really aren't special. You know, phones, you do all sorts of stuff. I do my email and social media and watch YouTube video. I do all sorts of things with that, and there's a Bible on it. So it's, it's not really unique and special for one purpose. This only has one purpose. That's it, you know, so it's kind of special. I'll tell you this, it's kind of, it's not very convenient, right? You think about it, you've got to take, carry a Bible with you everywhere. It's not very convenient. But that's good. If something's not convenient and you do it anyways, it means it really matters to you. And I'll tell you this, men. Um, you walk, or you, you get up in the morning and you lay this out and you're there and you're just looking at that and your wife walks in the room. Do you think she's wondering what you're doing? I know a lot of men struggle with pornography. You got that out and you're looking at the Bible. She's not wondering, I wonder what he's looking at. It's not happening. She knows exactly what you're doing when that's out. It just removes doubt. It removes suspicion. And it focuses your mind on where it needs to be, the Word of God. It's so important for us to know it and trust it, because if we don't know what's in here, we will easily be fooled. The more time we spend with the real deal, the easier it is to spot the fake. The fourth thing is this. 
the beginning of separation becomes real clear. We're, in the, we, we're seeing it. God's separating. It's becoming very clear. Why? Because we can easily recognize the false leadership. We can easily recognize false leadership. Verse 28 of Matthew 13 says that the servants continued by saying, do you want us then to go and gather them up? You know, there's, there's wheat, there's tares. Tares are in there. Do you want us to gather these up? Let's get rid of them, right? Um, here's what he says. No, lest you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Remember, we're all growing together. I hate to tell you this, but you're not going to find a church that only has wheat. You're not. There's a chance, maybe, I don't know, but there's a chance that there might be some tares in here tonight. Looking over, is it you? Is it me? Who is it? But here's the thing. God told us there's going to be tares. There's going to be false Christians. It's been since Jesus was here. He said this is going to happen. Not only is that going to happen, but some of those tares, those tares are going to be false leaders. They're going to be growing up with you. And they're going to seek to lead you astray. Second Peter chapter 2 tells us this. There were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. There's going to be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies. Cleverly teach that. Keep that in mind. They're going to cleverly teach these things. In other words, they're going to teach them in a way where it sounds legitimate. It sounds good. It sounds like it's going to benefit you. It sounds like it's going to make your family better and your lifestyle better. They're going to teach it very cleverly and even deny the master who brought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. And listen to this, many, not a few, not just a handful, there's going to be a whole lot of people who will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. Be a whole lot of them. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. There's going to be a whole lot of people following after this false doctrine. And it's weird. I've watched this now for a long time. I see people grow up as, as a pastor, as a leader, as a teacher, and they begin so well, it, is, it seems like. It, it seems like they're sticking to the Word of God and they're, they're doing what's right, but they start to, to turn at some point i've seen it i've watched it where where you think man this person's on fire this person's doing so well and then they start slipping in little things it's like what was that that doesn't seem right but you trust them because they've been doing so well and then they slip in another thing and then another thing and before you know it you're going what's going on why why are they teaching this way what what happened to this person that i trusted at one point it's really a sad thing but there's going to be many people who follow after this type of teaching. And that will lead to false fellowship. That's our fifth point. The, the beginning of separation becomes very clear when believers, true believers, can easily see or easily recognize false fellowship. Verse 30 says, let both grow together. Let both live together. Let both grow together until the harvest at the time of the harvest i will say to the reapers first gather together the tares bind them in bundles to burn them but gather the wheat into my barn listen when you and i receive the word of god as it is in truth the word of god not man the word of god effectively works in you who believe in god that's what we're told in first thessalonians chapter three the word of god effectively works in you who believe it's what god's word does it's a beautiful thing. When we receive it and we allow it to do its work, people are going to see that. People are going to know it. And that's what we have to look for in other believers so we can have right fellowship. If we're not looking for that, we're, we're not finding the right type of friends. We're not finding the right type of fellowship. But those are the five takeaways tonight. And I want to expound on, on the last three. But we've got the false Christians, the false fruit, the false doctrine, false leaders, and false fellowship. Here's what God says in Ephesians chapter 5. And it's important for us to, to really grasp this before we look at these false leaders. God says to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. We're supposed to expose them. Now, a lot of Christians are very uncomfortable with this. I don't want to have to expose them. I don't want to have to call anyone out. I mean, after all, who am I to judge? 
uh, you're a Christian with the Holy Spirit in you. That's who you are. You are supposed to judge. That's not something that's popular in our culture. I talked about this with my church today too. I'm like, listen, you're a Christian, you're a Christian, judge one another. This world, we're, we're not supposed to judge who? The world, right? You know why? Here's why. The world didn't read this and say yes. If you're a believer, you said, um, okay, that's the Lord, that's what he said. Uh, I, I raised my hand and say yes to Jesus. Be two things in my life. Would you please, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. Be my Lord. In other words, tell me what to do. What am I supposed to do in life? Okay, what we're supposed to do is read this and say yes to it. That's how we tell him we love him. He says, if you love me, do what I say. Obey me, right? We read this, we say yes. Here's the thing. We are told all throughout God's word to hold one another accountable to that. And we should want this. We should desire this. We need to call one another out if we're doing what's wrong. Now, here's the deal. If somebody's claiming to say yes to these things and they're teaching people false doctrines, very clear, we're supposed to, have, first of all, have no fellowship with it. And second of all, we're supposed to expose it. We're supposed to bring light. That's what light does, right? Light reveals the wickedness that lies in the darkness. That's what we do as Christians. We're salt, we're light. Salt stings a little bit. Why? It's preserving. It's killing off the germs, right? Light reveals, it exposes what's in the darkness. While you walk into a dirty kitchen, there's cockroaches on the floor, you turn the lights on, they scurry away. They don't like it. They've been caught. They've been exposed. They don't like it. That's our job. That's light. That's salt. That's what we're called to be, right? Can we agree on that? We're good? Amen. All right, so here's the deal. We're going to expose some stuff. We're going we're gonna to bring some light on some things tonight. So I'm going to kind of give you some leaders and some of the false doctrine that they're propagating. Um, let's talk about false leaders. I'm going to talk about false leaders in the pulpit and false leaders in entertainment and false leaders in, uh, in worship. You know, I'm going to kind of expose kind of a broad brush if I, if I could tonight. So first, let's talk about false leaders in the pulpit. Let me tell you this. 72% of pastors in America do not believe in the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture. 72%. Do not believe in it. In other words, they stand in a pulpit and they open this thing up, some of them. Some of them don't even open it up. Some of them open this up, but they don't even believe what's in it. They don't believe that God breathed it. They don't believe it's good for, for us to be reproved and equipped. They don't believe that this is without error. They don't believe in its infallibility. They don't believe in this. And yet they're in the pulpit leading people. Makes no sense to me. 72%. That leaves 28%, right? 28%. So like one out of four, kind of, you know, one out of four, believe it. Here's the problem. Only 10% of them, which is 2.8%, 2.8% of pastors in America will take the infallible word of God and take the cultural issues of our time and tell people this is what God says about this. Only 2.8%. That's it. Not even 3%. It's crazy to me. That means that 97% of the pastors in America are not equipping people to rightly live in the culture that we live in. It's horrific to me. This is what's going on in America. So 97%, it's crazy. Let's just talk about some of these people. Have you heard of Lou Engel? He is uh, the leader of the New Apostolic Reformation. This, this is crazy. The, these people are doing all sorts of weird things. But prior to Billy Graham dying, he declared that the mantle of Billy Graham was going to come upon him. So if you don't know what the mantle is, the mantle, so in the new, uh, the new Apostolic Reformation, the mantle refers to this anointing that they have, right? So the anointing of Billy Graham was going to fall on him. He's declaring it's going to fall on him. Prior to Billy Graham even dying, he's making these statements that it was prophesied to him, and so now this mantle of, of, of anointing is going to fall on him, kind of like, you know, how Elijah and Elisha, you know, how he took the mantle and gave it to him. They're saying that's kind of what's going on here. This is what they believe. And so how does this happen? How does the mantle get transferred from one person to the other? Well, what do you have to do to have that happen? 
you got to lay on the grave of the person who died. It's called grave soaking or grave sucking or mantle grabbing. And so they lay on the grave and they do this. I know you're laughing, but this is crazy. This is what these people do. They're laying on the graves of dead saints, people who were holy men of God who preached the truth rightly and, and were able to lead people in the paths of righteousness. Like Spurgeon, they'll go lay on Spurgeon's grave and they believe they're soaking up his anointing. They're grabbing his mantle. And this is what they're teaching. And it's not three or four people that are following this guy. We're talking about tens of thousands of people are being influenced by this man. And it's not just him. Look at the Bethel movement. Lots of music from Bethel all over America. It's played everywhere. Bill Johnson, he's of Bethel. Bill Johnson, now he doesn't do the grave soaking, but he has a whole different type of, thought a lot of people were accusing him of the grave soaking. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. He claims to not do it, but, but he does believe that anointing from articles will transfer from whatever that person, whoever owned that article, anointing from those articles will transfer over to him. And so he's building a gigantic library museum that's going to be filled with artifacts from all of these former people. And he believes that since he's going to build this and honor them, he says that God has told him that God will release the anointing that they had onto him if he'll do this to honor these dead people. So let's not honor God. Let's honor these dead people. And let's, let's build this big museum and put all these artifacts in there so that way those artifacts will be some sort of conduit so God can transfer the mantle to, to him. This is their doctrine. This is what they're teaching. It's insanity. And again, it's not three or four hundred people that follow this. They literally have influence over millions. It's insane. Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick says that God broke the law for love. He says that God broke the law. You think about that. God broke the law. So God created the law. The law is good. God doesn't contradict himself, but somehow God broke it. And this is what he teaches. And he's not alone in this. I said that, you know, sometimes people start off so well, and you look at their ministry, and you think, man, this person's, this person's right on. And, and I'll admit, when I first started listening to Andy Stanley, I thought so. I thought, man, this guy's solid. This guy's good. He's leading people in the right direction. I really, really had a lot of admiration for his ministry. And like I said, somewhere along the line, these guys, I don't know if they just get too big for their britches or what. I don't know what happens. But all of a sudden, they just make a turn, and all of a sudden, they're teaching weird, wackadoodle type of stuff. And that's in the dictionary. Look it up. That's just a word I use, I guess, wackadoodle. I mean, there's, it's, it's insanity. They're teaching some really, really weird things. But here's what Andy Stanley said. Um, Recently, in an interview, he said, I would ask preachers and pastors and student pastors in their communications to get the spotlight off the Bible and back on the resurrection. Get the spotlight off the Bible. This is Andy Stanley. It's a quote. And he's saying, I, I recommend, let's, let's just get the spotlight off the Bible. Let's get the spotlight off the one thing that has stood the test of time, has never been proven incorrect, never proven to contradict itself, never been proven to be changed in any way. Always, when the principles in it are applied, have always proven to work. Everything in this is right. Let's get the spotlight off of that. And this is how he's teaching people. On the 7th of this month, January 2019, Andy Stanley wrote in an article for Relevant Magazine, entitled, Why Do Christians Want to Post the Ten Commandments and Not the Sermon on the Mount? You might know where I'm going with this, but in this uh, he stated, the Ten Commandments played a significant role in God's creation of the nation of Israel. It gave them moral guidelines and helped separate this new nation from their neighbors. This was part of the formal agreement, and listen to this, or covenant. So it's part of the formal agreement or covenant God created with his people, but, and that's where he lost me, but... Jesus' death and resurrection signaled the end of that covenant and all the rules and regulations associated with it. Now, that might sound good on the surface. Here's the problem. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 tells us this. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. 
Why would a Christian leader be telling people this nonsense? He's getting people to dismiss the Old Testament, to dismiss the law, dismiss the covenants, and the person excited about eschatology, the study of end times, that the person who loves to, to study prophecy would, would bridge the gap right away. He wants people to stop supporting Israel. That's, that's what's going on. Let's get the focus off of Israel. You know, forget about it. All that is gone. The covenant's gone. Well, when you say that that covenant is gone, what you're saying is the promises that come with it are gone. And that's the problem. This is the, the attack of the enemy on the church right now is to get our mind off of what God is doing. I mean, obviously, like I said, it's a progressive revelation. God is, God's working on these things, and, and he's going to fulfill certain things. But to say that we've got to get our focus off the Old Testament, that old covenant's just gone, you know, the church has replaced Israel, this is where this is all going, is get people to think that somehow God is done with Israel. And that God's not going to work his, his promises anymore that he promised the Jews. And what that does is it skews the mind of what's really happening overseas. It gets people to not have a right understanding of how God works and what he does. And it's really misleading people because what it's telling people is that's a promise God made to those people, but that promise is null and void. Well, then what happens if God's a promise breaker? What happens about his promise to you? If his promise is that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, well, who's to say he won't change his mind on that and break his promise to you because he has some new thing come along? It's a false representation of the very character of God. And this is what many people are doing. God broke the law. God's doing away with the law. We need to get our focus off of the law. He replaced his things. with you know This is what's going on, replacement theology. Replacement theology is weird. It was like kind of going away for a while. Now it's taking a real strong comeback all over the place. I believe the true agenda is found in, in Andy Stanley's statement. He says this, the new covenant replaced the old one. That's what he says. The covenant established by Jesus retired the covenant God established with the nation of Israel. What happened to the promises then? Where did that go? He's, he's misleading people. He's putting people in a position where they're not understanding the character of God. What about Pope Francis? Pope Francis is leading people in the wrong direction all over the place every single day of the week. That's what he's doing. And people are buying into him. And guess what? It's not just Christian people or Catholic people that are buying into him. It's really weird for me to see. Uh, I was raised in a Catholic home, and I have parents that, that truly love the Lord and are born-again believers. Um, but I was raised Catholic, and for me, it's really weird to see Protestant churches all over, evangelical churches all over the world, praising this Pope as though somehow he's, he's uniting everybody. And, and in one way, he kind of is uniting people. In a very weird, strange way, he is. Because he's telling people that, that Muslims are our brothers and sisters. This is what he's telling people. I mean, this is, and I'm not just making this up. You can go and look at this. This is exactly what the Pope said. He says this. He says, Christians and Muslims are brothers and sisters, and we must act as such. This is the words of Pope Francis. They're brothers and sisters. I, you know, last I checked, when I read the Bible, what makes somebody a brother or a sister is their faith in Jesus Christ, because we've been adopted into the family of God. When you've been adopted in the family of God, you are now brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ. But he's saying that, Christians and Muslims are brothers and sisters, and we have to act that way. So what he's saying is you have to act contrary to the Word of God, and he's leading billions of people in that. He's urging Catholics to lobby governments to adopt open border policies. It's not a real popular thing to say, but God is, God is a God who kind of likes borders. He just does. I mean, you read all throughout the Scriptures, God builds walls. God likes borders. All the way back in Genesis 11, people didn't want to go out and do all these different nations. They wanted to stay and have what? A one-world government. And God said, no, that's not what I want. I want you to spread out. I want you to go, no, 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 we want this. We want just a one-world government. God had to say, no, that's not what we're going to do. And he, he dispersed them, right? And to this day, what you're seeing is this rebellious spirit against God saying no we're not going to have borders we're going to be one world one government and that is the work of antichrist 
the very spirit of Antichrist. And yet you've got a religious leader from a church leading millions and literally billions of people with this mindset that we need to do away with borders. There is only one spirit that wants to do away with borders. It's the Antichrist. There will be a one world government someday. It's going to be head by Jesus Christ. That's what's going to happen. It's called the Millennial Kingdom. And it's going to be pretty awesome, really. And we get to be there with Jesus ruling. It's going to be kind of cool for us. Amen? It's, it's an amazing thing. But, but Pope Francis is leading people in the direction the Antichrist wants. He says this, Praise be to you, my Lord, through our sister, Mother Earth. This is Pope Francis. Our sister, Mother Earth, who sustains us, who governs us. Mother Earth does this according to the Pope. And what he pushes is an agenda to get people to focus on maintaining or, or sustaining this earth. That somehow we need to get all of our focus on, on all this stuff that has to do with, with the global warming and stuff. And, and really what this is, it's a, this is a false religion. It's to get people to worship the earth, to worship the creation rather than the creator. And it's weird because you can get a whole lot of people to buy into this. we got to save the planet. i got news for you. You can't save the planet. Not going to happen. You know, and it's a futile effort to even try. I'm not saying we need to misuse the earth. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is he's guiding people to worship the creation instead of the creator. And he's a false religious leader. He's a false person in a pulpit. It's all over the place. Not only is it coming from the pulpit, but it also comes from the worship community. It's a very true thing. I've seen it for years. When Satan wants to enter the church, he often does it right through the worship community. It's an easy way to do it. Um, first of all, he was a worship leader in heaven. This is what he did. He knows what he's doing, and he's very good at it. And again, the craftiness. Remember, I, I said at the beginning in, in our scripture, it says that there will be crafty heresies. They're going to be very creative in how they get you to buy into this false doctrine. They're going to be very, very creative on how they lead people astray. Let me just show you just one example of this. It's in the Gospel of Luke, and I'll just read some of this to you, but in the Gospel of Luke, um, let's see. You know when Palm Sunday happened? Jesus is riding in, right? He's coming into Jerusalem. Everybody's throwing their, their cloaks down. They're throwing down the palm branches. And they're hailing him as the Messiah. Hailing him as the king, right? And the, the Pharisees didn't like this that much, right? The Pharisees were actually getting very upset. And they said this, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell these people to stop worshiping you. That's what they said to Jesus. What did Jesus say in response? He said this, I tell you, these people if these people should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Even these rocks would cry They have to worship me. This is what they were created for. Don't tell them to not do what I created them to do. Human beings were created to worship Jesus. That's what we were created for. And if we don't, if we don't, if we don't, the rocks are going to do it. Let's make sure we keep that in mind. If we don't, the rocks will. You guys have heard the song from Hillsong, I'm sure. So will I. Or 100 billion times. Christians all over the place love this song. It sounds so great. And it really does. It sounds great. It's catchy. You listen to it. You can sing along to it very easily. It sounds very worshipful. And yet all throughout it, woven all throughout it, is the idea that if something else will do this, I will do it. So if the rocks cry out in worship, then so will I. Can you see how that's exactly the opposite of what God says? This is the whole theme of this song, so will I. If the rocks cry out in worship, so will I. It's completely opposite of what Jesus said. He says, I created you to worship me, but if you won't do it, then the rocks will do it. So the rocks can sing that song all they want. If the humans cry out and worship, then so will I. You know what I mean? It's, it's that way. But, but what's happening is Christians all over are listening to this music and singing this song to Jesus. If the rocks cry out and worship, then so will I. 
opposite. Very crafty. Sounds very worshipful. And it is very worshipful, just not to the proper place without Christians even knowing it. But they don't take the time to dig in. Pastors don't take the time to dig in and find out what is it that's going to be sung by this choir, by this church group. And I'll tell you, I, I get all sorts of flack from, from all sorts of people when I say, we're not doing that song. But that song's so much fun. The congregation really likes it. They enjoy it. They sing to it. You're going to play that song. They don't sing real well to that song. I don't care. I really don't give a rip. I'm not here to make sure they're entertained. I'm here to make sure that they are led in the right direction and that God is worshipped properly. That's my job as a pastor. I've got to protect them. And far be it for me to just say, oh, well, let's just play it because it's popular. But this is what's going on. It's false. You guys know we've got all sorts of things in the worship community doing this kind of stuff. You know Lauren Daigle. It's a sad thing that somebody who would write so many songs that sound so great can't answer simple questions about the very nature of our sexuality. I mean, these, these things are simple. Now, now I'm not here to, to rip on her for that. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, she just couldn't answer whether or not homosexuality was a sin. It's weird. Christianity 101. I mean, these things are simple. Kindergartners understand this. A daddy leaves his mommy and daddy and is joined together with my mommy, and the two became one, and here I am. Simple Christianity 101. She couldn't answer it. I, I don't know. I'm not God. Well, then stop writing songs that make millions of dollars and say that you're a Christian. Stop it. If you can't answer that, simple stuff. But again, I, I'm not here to rip on that, but my point is this. Read the lyrics to her songs because they, they sound very, very worshipful, very fun, very, very catchy. Like, ooh, this is good. There's a, a song that everybody's loving right now, You Say. And in this song, it's, it's saying, you, know, you say that, well, here, here's the idea. I'll just say this and you guys are going to catch on to it right away. Who tells you or does anybody tell you that you'll never be enough? The answer is yes, God does. You are not enough. There's nothing you can do to make your way into heaven. You're never going to equal up to Jesus. You're never going to meet the standard. That's why we need Jesus. That's a simple thing. That, that, again, Christianity 101, we're broken people. We're imperfect people. We just serve a very perfect God. How wonderful is that? He sent his only son to live perfectly because we couldn't. Now we get to go to heaven because Jesus lived perfectly, died on a cross, went into the grave, rose again three days later, and sent a spirit to live with us. Give us strength, wisdom, courage, power, boldness, self-control, love, kindness, patience, gentleness, these things that we don't have without him, right? Because we're not enough. We will never measure up. But all through this, it says, all through her song, it says, I keep hearing voices in my head that say I'm not enough. All these lies that say I will never measure up. All these lies that say I'll never measure up. The world is the one that tells me I'm enough. The world says, you're good enough. You're great. You're good. You're awesome. Yeah, you're, you're awesome. Hey, Tim, you just keep on going. You be you, man. You be you. You're great. The word of God is the thing that tells me I don't measure up. And in her song, she says, that's a lie. Can you see where this is leading people away from the true message of the Bible? We don't measure up. We aren't enough. I, that's a hard thing for us to, that's a hard pill for us to swallow, especially in the culture we live in. Nobody wants to be told they're not enough. That's, that hurts our self-esteem. We don't, we don't want our self-esteem hurt. The problem is we have too much self-esteem. That's a problem with our culture. We have too much of it. We should be esteeming others as better than ourselves. But we bought in this line that we need to build up our self-esteem. And you know, we, we're, we're kind of okay in that area. We got, we got plenty. But this is what's being sung in churches all over the place. We got false leaders in entertainment. False leader, I hate to break your guys' heart, but I don't know if you've heard of a comedian, John Christ. But he's very funny, very talented, and yet he's pushing the LGBTQ+, all that stuff. He's pushing it, that, that homosexual Christians are normal, that this is okay, and gay marriage is okay, and millions and millions and millions of Christians tune into this stuff because he, quite frankly, is hilarious. He is. He's funny. He's a real funny guy. He makes fun of Christians in a way that 
it's, you know, it's funny. And let's, let's face it, we do some pretty stupid things sometimes. And we, you know, it's okay to laugh at ourselves. But he gathers this following of millions, and now he's pushing this lie that two men can be married, two women can be married. You know, this is, this is what's going on in Christian entertainment. There's false leadership in government. <laughs> I didn't even tell you guys that, did I? <laughs> Here's the deal. I'm telling you, I've talked with, and this is a very big thing for me personally, it's a ministry God has placed on my heart. I'm, I'm very involved um, with school boards because of the sexually explicit material that's being pushed on our children. And I don't like it one bit. Uh, there's an end to God's patience. God is very, very patient. There's an end to it. You know what it is? When you start taking your sexual perversion and forcing it on children. Study history. Yeah. That's the end. Well, God has had it. When you start taking your sexual perversion and you force it on kids. Done. And this is where we're at. Not just here in America. This is worldwide. But I talk to people who say, I'm a Christian. And the, and the community knows them as Christians. They're on the school board. They're on the city council. I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, that person I'm on the school board. I know them. They're a Christian. So they're a Christian leader in my book. If they're a leader and they're saying they're a Christian and they're going around with that, that reputation that they're a Christian, I'm going to hold them accountable to being a Christian leader. I don't care if they're in a church or not. They're leading the community under the name of Christ. And I've got them deceiving me putting in policies that would promote LGBT, putting in policies that would promote transgenderism, putting these policies in, they'll look me in the face and tell me, we're going to work with you, Pastor. We're going to help protect these children. And behind my back, they're putting in policies that would push this agenda on our kids. They are false Christian leaders. And I'm, I'm not joking. You guys, I'll tell you guys more about that later. There's a lot coming up with that. A lot of things going on. Crazy. The enemy is after our children. After our children. Yeah, oh, it's happening in San Jacinto, it's happening in Hemet, happening in Temecula, Marietta, Menifee, all over the place. All over the place. There are false Christian leaders in our governments. All over the place. You wouldn't believe, the, I won't even say it, the sick stuff that's being taught to your children and grandchildren. Disgusting. And there are people who say, I'm a Christian and I'm going to work with you, Pastor. And behind my back, they're pushing policies in place that won't allow parents to properly opt their children out of this stuff. And then they'll tell you your face, oh no, you can opt out. I'm telling you, it's disgusting. All over the place, there are false Christian leaders with their false doctrine. And don't, don't mistake it, the LGBT movement, it is a doctrine. They are pushing their religion on our community. False false leaders with their false doctrine and what happens is false fellowship and you see people who are supposed to be light fellowshipping with light and what's happening it's light fellowshipping with darkness and what fellowship does light have with darkness it should have none that's why god says don't have fellowship with them expose them shed the light on them but false fellowship I was talking to a worship leader. He said, I, I was just getting sucked into this whole worship community. He said, I was, I was playing at a big church, and, and after church, everybody would go, at, and they would go over to the lead, pastor, uh, lead worship pastor's house, and we would get hammered. Everybody was drunk. I mean, the whole worship team smashed. And he says, I, just, I was so convicted, I had to get away from it. And yet they're up on the platform leading people. Now, it doesn't happen here. We're good. <laughs> but you know, Pastor Tom wouldn't put up with that. But, but it happens. And it happens all over the place where, where people are standing up on a platform and leading people. And then they go out for, for fellowship. Let's go out for fellowship. And their fellowship is Jack Daniels. You know? It's, it's just terrible. And it's happening all over the place. God has begun that work of separation. It's very clear to us, when you are a true believer, you have the Holy Spirit, you've got the Word of God, you're opening it up every day, and you start to look around the world and you see what's going on, it's very clear God is separating. He's beginning that work. It's going to be very, you know, like I said, it progresses and God starts to do more. It's going to happen very quickly. I would love for it to happen right now. It would be kind of cool. He's going to snatch us away. They call the rapture. That's going to be another major part of this separation, but it's not going to be done even then. There's still going to be work. You're going to see God at, at the end. He's going to bundle up 
the tares. They're going to be thrown in the fire. But God's doing this work of separation right before our very eyes. It's very clear. Um, what does this have to do with Israel? We're going to have to wait till I come back. We're getting, it's getting late. But hopefully Pastor Tom's going to have me back in a few weeks. I want to tell you, because I'm telling you, what's going on with the church and this work of separation and what's going on with Israel, they're, they're tied together. They're, it's very uniquely tied together. A lot of people try to separate it out and like, well, you know, look at the church in America and the church worldwide and, you know, how, what's going to happen and how's this relate to Israel. We're going to talk about it because really, truly, they are tied together. But notice the work of separation God's doing now. It's a really good time to ask yourself, are you really, truly a Christian? And I'm not trying to be offensive when I say that. I'm just really trying to look out for your well-being. Are you really? You know why? Because it's not just me that's asking you this. Even the Word of God says, test yourself. Check yourself. See if you really, truly are those of the faith. We don't want to be caught unaware. We want to know what's going on. We want God to be illuminating our life so we can illuminate other people's lives. So let's just pray and ask God to confirm that in our hearts tonight. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fellowship we have with your spirit. Thank you for putting that light within us that we would know what your word says, that we would be able to be that light into the world. Lord, we want to be an effective light. We don't want to be a light hidden under a basket, Lord. We want to be a light on a hill that we would shine bright, that, that not only would we as a light attract people to you, but we as a light would reveal what's in the darkness, Lord. That we would do both of those things that light does. And that we would have the courage to do that. Because it's a courageous act to expose the wickedness. The wickedness does not like to be exposed. And so give us the courage, the boldness we need to do that. Tonight, Lord, would you give us the confirmation in our own hearts that we truly are your children, that we are your sons and daughters. Lord, we are filled with your spirit right now. We know that we are not brothers and sisters with Muslims. Lord, we're brothers and sisters with one another because we've been adopted into your holy family. We are kids of the king. We are heirs of the kingdom. Lord, we are so grateful for that privilege and we never want to take it lightly. Lord, if there's anybody in this room or watching online tonight that has a doubt in their heart, would you remove that doubt for them tonight? Would you reveal to them the truth that they are your children, that you love them, that you sent your son to die for them? And would they know that and trust that every single day of their life, Lord? Confirm that in them now by the power of your spirit, I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.